Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Good morning, church. Great to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Tyler. I have the blessing and the opportunity to attend here at Restore and the opportunity at times to share with you about uh, some of what's been happening as I spend time in the Word and, and uh, kind of explore what God might have us to, to look at. So um, Pastor Gene invited me to share in this series of James. And one of the things I enjoy about speaking through a book is also one of the things I really don't enjoy about speaking through a book, is that I can't duck. I can't escape the hard passages that if I have the chance to just talk about themes, I'll probably avoid them. So there may be some hard readings this morning, um, but just know that if you squirm a little bit in your seat, um, I did too, or I do as well. Um, we are working through the book of James in this series, and one of the things that, um, I was just talking with Jordan about this before the service, that it feels like uh, the theme for him has been this sense that we need to cultivate a position of humility before the Lord and others. Um, and I really resonated with that. Um, one of the things that I just keep coming back to with James is he's just hammering home that what we believe on the inside, what we hold as truth to live by, winds up being expressed in the way that we speak to people, in the way that we talk, and in the way that we treat people, the way that we act. And so if people are watching our words and our actions, then they will know whether or not we truly are followers of Jesus Christ. So as I get started, I'd like to just offer two centering reflections on uh, where I'm going in the message. We're gonna be in James 5. Um, this is the first time James starts talking about um, material goods and finances, so we'll talk a little bit about that. And, uh, and then he also revisits his theme of, of um, those who might be struggling. But I want to kind of share an image that came to me or a song that came to me and then um, also show how James, the brother of Jesus, is constantly going back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount with this passage. First of all, um, just a little plug, I enjoy the blues artist Keb Mo, Kevin Moore. Uh, I've been following him for a number of years. And this song kind of popped into my head, and trust me, I'm not gonna try singing. That's the job of these people up here. But, uh, but he writes this, he wrote this song almost 20 years ago called The Action. And it's a love song. And it really brought home to me again this week um, the idea that if I really truly love somebody, that I'm going to show it in my actions. And he says, I'm going to prove my love no matter how long it takes, because the feelings I have for you, girl, they're no mistake. But the action speaks louder. You know, the action speaks louder than the words. The action so much louder you know the action speaks louder than the words. I know it's just simple, but if we really stop and we look at our relationships with those whom we love, whether it's our children or our spouses, our family members, our friends, um, we can say all we want, but at the end of the day, if our actions 
don't reflect what we say, then is there truly a relationship there? And um, so anyways, it's a song that I've enjoyed through the years, and some of you are probably going to go to Spotify later. But I also have to note that I feel a unique tension when I come to James 5. We are um, Americans, and we say we follow Jesus, or we're exploring what it means to follow Jesus, if you haven't said yes to him. And so in our Western culture, there's an expectation of what it means to at least get by. We have to have a roof over our head. Um, the reality is, for many of us, in order to have a job, particularly in this geographic area, we need to have access to really good technology to work remotely, or we have to have a car. Um, you know, to simply be a citizen in our culture requires a tremendous amount of resources. And compared to the wider world, we can't duck the fact that we're really in the top 1%. These are one of these places where James speaks in ways that create attention for me. I feel like at times with the, the way that my family is the way it is, the size of it, and um, kind of the fact that I'm, I'm the main wage earner, the only wage earner in our home for the most part, that it feels like we're not even trying to keep up with the Joneses, and yet I have so much in light of what James is saying us to weigh. And what I want to do is start with the words of Jesus from Matthew 6. Because he says in Matthew 6, around verse 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, then the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. For no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money." And I think one of the things that James is about to push into is that he's reminding us that in God's economy, our possessions, our material goods, our money are a means to an end. They can be used to provide for your family and to care for your community. And we're going to get into that a little bit today. But when it becomes the end goal, that's where the focus goes. I'm working with some of my teenagers on how to drive. And you know, one of the things I kind of start off with is, you know, where your eyes linger is where the car is going to go. So, <laughs> kind of awkward when you're looking at the, you know, my, when I was a kid, it was the stereo or the cassette player, but now it's, it's the phone or whatever. But also, if you linger looking off this way, you're going to turn that way. That's essentially what God is saying, is that when we make the main thing something that is not him, then we're going to go that direction. Okay, end of message. All right, so we're going to go to James 5. Let's go ahead and look at James 5.
I'm reminded of some words of an author who wrote, we become what we worship. And he said that what people revere, they resemble, whether for ruin or restoration. What we revere, we resemble, whether it's for ruin or restoration. And so then we come to chapter 5 of James. Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you in the day of judgment. Well, listen. Hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord in heaven. He's not mincing words here. Even the incorruptible nature of gold is corroding in this passage. You see, if our pursuit is of those things and the end goal of acquisition of those things, they will eventually fail us. I have a father-in-law and I have a mother who both died before they ever had the opportunity to enjoy their retirement. And I am so blessed to know that the lineage of those two individuals was that they didn't spend their whole lives pursuing the riches that they needed for that retirement. Does that mean they shouldn't have saved for it? Does that mean that they shouldn't have done things to prepare for it? No. What I'm saying is their end goal was not the storing up of those treasures. And when they faced the end, they were at peace. But I've also been a minister in situations where people have made that their end goal and they're facing not being able to enjoy it. And I'm telling you, friends, I didn't think I was going to go there this morning. But when I've seen them on their deathbed or after they've passed, just the look on their faces tells me that they have sent their eyes on that which was not the Lord. If we look towards our possessions as the byproduct of a faithful God, of a pursuit of doing the thing that God calls us to do, then how then shall we become like those, that which we worship? What do we resemble? The corroded silver, the moth-eaten garment, or the most glorious God on high? I'm going to keep reading in this. Well, listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of the heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. You know, these are the kind of passages that I don't like to like, like we don't put them out on the sign and say, hey, come and visit today. 
we're, you're going to be called a fat cow ready for slaughter. You know, that's not an attractional model, right? But if we're honest with ourselves, if we really want to grow, we sometimes have to face the hard words. So whether it's business owners providing to the wage earners or a client relating to customers, when the pursuit of silver and gold is the end goal, people get trampled. And we begin to hear an image like, behold the cries of the workers, which should, if we understand our scriptures, it goes to Genesis where Abel's blood is crying out for mercy and justice. And at the end, the martyrs are crying out and saying, oh Lord, how long? In the great trajectory of things, God's ears are open to those who are trampled. James isn't speaking in a vacuum. He's drawing from a prophetic history. I'm going to go to Amos. You know, I'm, I have it written down. I'll keep it, keep it going here. In Amos, a powerful, powerful word. Second chapter, he says, For the three sins of Israel, for the four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. And it's like this spinning wheel. Every other chapter, he comes back to this. Chapter 4 in Amos, he says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, Mount Samaria. You women who oppress the poor, crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord is sworn by his holiness. This time will come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. So he basically, like they're sitting by the pool yelling for margaritas, and they're going to get hauled away by people with hooks through their noses, which actually happened that the conquering armies came in and led the Jewish people out of their land naked, tied together with hooks through their noses. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen to us when we start demanding margaritas by the side of the pool, but, but disaster can take different forms when the main thing isn't the main thing. Amos 6, you lay on beds adorned with ivory and you lounge on your couches. See, the, the couch potatoes existed back then too. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Amos 8, you will see here again where James is coming up with this language. Hear this, you who trampled the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell the grain and Sabbath be ended that we might market wheat? It's like saying, you're sitting in the church service and all you can think of is to get back home online to figure out how to price your product to scalp the unwary customer. Okay? It, it, it's a it's a human trait that's been around for thousands of years that when we make money or possessions the main thing, 
our allegiance goes a different direction. He says, we skimp on the measure, we boost the price and cheat with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Sound familiar? Selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. Jacob, I will never forget anything they'd done. So Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, talks about where our allegiance is. We can't serve God and money. James is saying essentially the same thing. What's the main thing? And Jesus himself and his brother James knows that even Jesus was sold for silver. He was on the receiving end of somebody who took his eyes off of the Lord and said, you know what? I could add a couple of pieces of silver to my wallet right now because possession became the end goal. God's economy is different. God's economy is different. His treasure looks different than the world's. Gold and silver, believe it or not, are just a shadow of the riches that come at the hand of the Lord. But to be honest, I've got to be honest with you. I really struggle with this. I want to provide for my family. I don't want to want. I want to plan for the future. I feel it. I don't know about you. Interest rates, price of food. You try buying food for seven kids. <laughs> Next year, all of them will be in junior high or older. And I'm hearing people say, okay, can you put two turkeys in your oven for Thanksgiving? But you know, what helps me survive is when I stop and I say, okay, I've got to give my first fruits to the Lord so I contribute to my church and to other charitable organizations that I believe in. I got to take it off the top. And what that does, it actually reorients my vision. And it says to me, okay, the Lord has given this to me. Now it is not mine. And so then now how do I take and spend the rest of my money? And it reorients how I do my purchases and how I live. Can I live with the view that money is a means to an end? How can I take my investments and let them be harnessed for kingdom work and for the provision of those who are under my care? This is not at the neglect of my family. These are the same questions that business owners need to ask. If you're a business owner, you see, I'm a free market capitalist at heart, but I believe that that works when your heart is redeemed and when you believe that your business exists to be a blessing to the families that are under your charge and a blessing to your community. That when we start looking at ourselves as free market capitalists, for example, and doing it just to kind of milk people for what they can give us so that we can be comfortable, then that's a, that's a, that, that makes the system fail, to be honest with you. So this isn't a sermon on free market capitalism. This is a sermon on saying, if you are a business owner in a capitalist economy, how can you view your business as a blessing to those who work under you and to the community in which you serve? The same thing is to be said about a church. The budget reflects the values. I'm going to put a little plug in. This is kind of why I feel so good about Restore. They are good stewards. They take their money and they, re they reinvest it back into staff 
and people and relationships instead of trying to maintain edifices and program after program after program just because the program needs to exist. If you're going to connect to a body of believers, stop and look at the budget and the value that is reflected in where they're spending their money. As I bring this part to a close, James is not speaking in a vacuum. I know some of you may be taking notes. If you want to go back to Deuteronomy 8, he's speaking to the very root laws that, he gave to, that God gave to his people. God says that when you finally come into the land and you get everything I've promised you, when you have built up homes and your fields are producing and you look around and you see all the riches that you've received, he says in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 8, he did all of this, the riches and the testing in the wilderness, that you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one that gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant that he confirmed to you. He is the one who gives us the power to be successful. Let us never say that it is because of the power of my own strength and enemy. The Lord says that if you forget this, and you begin to bow down to the gods, which are made of gold and silver, you will be destroyed. Those are hard words, but good reminders for each one of us. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little convicted. So let's go ahead to James 5, because, frankly, there's the other side of the equation. That perhaps maybe you feel like your fields haven't been full. That... There hasn't been a time of richness and bounty, and you're struggling. You're under oppression, depression, lack of funds. He has words here too. In verse 7, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. In this context, uh, Israel would have um, two harvest seasons. The rain would come in the spring and the fall, and then the harvest would follow in the months after. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. He really, what he's doing is he's going back to the beginning, because in chapter 1, what does James say? He says, dear brothers and sisters, whenever troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. You know that when your faith is tested, your endurance is a chance to grow, so let it grow. But when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And so he's speaking to these who maybe have been sold for silver, or sold for a sandal, or a great pair of Nikes, whatever it might be. But he also 
encourages us to remember that when we are in this situation, it's easy to turn and bite and devour. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I've been financially insecure and the family that I'm supposed to be caring for and nurturing becomes my target of my frustration and stress. Or my coworkers. I lost it with my boss one time and almost lost my job. There are moments when we are under these kinds of stress that we turn and we bite and we devour and we lose sight of the main thing. The Lord who has gone before us, who has experienced every temptation known to man, provides a way for us. He can give us a peace and a joy that can transcend these things. It feels really difficult to say these words when I know that there are brothers and sisters around the world who have experienced far, far, far more than what I'm talking about here. And so we tend to ourselves that we might be ready for those times of endurance as well. I love that it gives the image that rain will come. You see, um, farmers love rain at the right time. Saw a lot of them scurrying around this fall before the harvest and the big rains that were coming for three to four days. But I don't know about you, but when I see this gray sky, I was texting a friend who had been traveling in warmer climates and letting them know that there were lots of gray clouds waiting for them here. And I have gray clouds in my life sometimes. So I'll give you this little tip. I had a professional painter friend of mine who told me, Tyler, gray clouds are harder to paint than a blue sky because they vary in color and there is a sun behind them that makes them change color from cloud to cloud. And it helps me remember in times, because I do believe I probably have some kind of seasonal affective disorder, that I look at the clouds and I say, you know what, behind it, is the sun. Don't take your eyes off of the Lord. Whether it is that you're in pursuit of running your business or being a good employee, or if you're in a situation where you're experiencing relational or financial or physical stress and turmoil, keep the main thing the main thing. And what I'd like to do is end with this final verse that feels a little bit out of context, but actually fits pretty well. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team forward, and we'll also have a prayer team here. Listen, like, I grew up in a context that when people came down for prayer, sometimes people would stare at the back of their heads and say, what the heck is wrong with them? Why do they need to come down for prayer? And I, I just work against that spirit in my own life. But if you need encouragement, and you're having trouble seeing where God's at work and something in your life, like the prayer team would love to pray with you. If you're in a season of great abundance and you're just looking for discernment of how to live in that time, the prayer team is here. Like we just, sometimes we just need another voice to just speak life over us. And just as we've been studying in James that words have meaning, words bring life, they create realities. At the end it says, but most of all my brothers and sisters, Never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, and then you won't be sinning or you will not sin and be condemned.
It feels a little bit weird to have this kind of dropped into the middle, but in some ways, is this not what Keb Mo was singing about? That why do I need more behind my yes or no? Like, like if I'm going to give somebody my word, why do I need to back it up with something else? If I'm a person that follows Jesus, Jesus said himself in Matthew 5 that you have heard our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows, you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. Don't say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. And don't, by, don't say by earth because the earth is his footstool. And don't say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Jesus is referring to the Old Testament that just says that when you make a vow to the Lord, don't break it. Do everything you say. And he said, by the way, don't make a vow. Just say yes. Let your actions reflect what you have said. I'm going to go ahead and just offer a quick word of prayer here. Thank you for this opportunity and, uh, to, to share with you. It's always a blessing to be with my brothers and sisters here and talk about the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of today. I pray that you will just meet each person in this space where they're at, that you might speak to them, whether it's softly, like the whispering wind, or maybe you're yelling to get their attention. Lord, whether they're seeking discernment about how to live faithfully in a time of abundance, whether it's that they're in this place of in-between and they're trying to discern the next step, or if it's in a time where they're facing great financial or physical or relational turmoil, we believe that like you said through your prophet James, that when we lack wisdom, you love to give it to us. We ask, Lord, in this space that you'll do that, that you will answer prayers and draw near and give answers to people who are asking questions or needing an extra measure of your presence in this day. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.